Right. Welcome back to the Mother Worldly podcast. Now in its third series, which is going to be all about, which is going to be, which already is all about books because there's several episodes in. I have lost count. Um, we are talking about reading, writing, um, loving to read, loving to write, um, not reading and not writing have also come up. Um, today I am talking to a friend and colleague. Sherry Bevan is a business coach and mentor, president of the parenting charity NCT, as well as an NCT breastfeeding counsellor, wife, mother and survivor of injury and illness, and one of those people who is a real inspiration to know. Her book, The Confident Mother, is a part, a part parenting manual and part exploration of the stories of some amazing women, including Paralympian Dame Sarah Story and others who also talk about how being a mother and having a fulfilling life outside of motherhood don't have to be mutually Ah, mutually exclusive. <laughs> Started well. Um, hi, Sherry. Hello, Karen. I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you for that lovely introduction. I like writing introductions. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of the few things I do write. Um, I want to talk to you today because you've written, um, you have written a book. Is it just the one book that you've written? Just the one book so far. So I far. have plans for a second. Oh, we'll talk about that. Um, so your book is The Confident Mother. Um, it's been out for a few years, but it's not old, is it? Uh, five, 2015, I published it. Right. Um, and I, I had seen it before and I picked it up before, but I'd never sat down and read it, which now I, I have done much more of. I'm not going to lie and tell you that I've read all of it because I'm doing um, several interviews a week and trying to read everybody's books. <laughs> um, but I want to ask you about um, the inspiration behind it and the process and just um, what, what it means to you as a book. So there you go, three questions to be getting on with. Okay, right. Um, so the inspiration behind the book. So actually, the book didn't come first. The book came as a result of other things. So about six years ago, um, so you mentioned I'm a business coach. So, and at the time, I was effectively running two businesses. I was very much focused on supporting women with their careers, but also doing a lot of coaching with, um, with uh, uh, technology law firm companies, law firms, sorry, can't speak straight, um, around their technology and service delivery. And so I was doing kind of like two sets of marketing and two sets of newsletters. And it, quite frankly, for what for a sole person, it was exhausting. But I didn't want to let go of the, the women stuff because even though I was doing that as a sideline because um, you know to, to build my coaching portfolio, I, I, I slowly realised that actually that was the work that gave me the most joy, the most excitement, and really was what lit me up. So um, I decided I was going to change my business focus and drop all the law firm and the technology stuff although I haven't fully dropped it I have to say and just focus on um, working with women well at the time I had you know maybe a mailing list um, of about 30 people from a, an, an NCT pregnancy and baby fair that I'd done for a local branch and so I thought how can I get more people to know about what I'm doing and, and what I'm doing so I came up with, because my background was technology, I came up with this idea of running an online conference called, which I called The Confident Mother. And, um, and at the time, some people said to me, are you crazy? Because I did two interviews a day, no, three interviews a day, I think, for three weeks. Um, so that was quite a lot. That was quite an intense time. And I was using um, 
I mean, everybody nowadays, especially with COVID-19, is used to using stuff like Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams and stuff like that. But at the time, not everybody was so familiar with that technology. And so anyway, around the conference, it was amazing. It was brilliant, attracted lots of women. And then when I was um, talking to somebody else who was a, a, a published author herself, she said to me, oh, you're going to turn it into a book. And I said, oh, don't be so daft. That'd be crazy. And then, that, and then it kind of put the seed in my mind. And then I spoke to another friend who is a publisher and said, what do you think? Do you think that would work? And she said, oh, yes, fantastic. So, so I recorded all of the interviews. Um, I made my own notes and then I went through and transcribed them all. And yeah, it was hard. It was hard work. And I set very aggressive deadlines for myself because I knew otherwise it would just take forever before it happened and I told everybody I was publishing a book so that people kept saying how's it going how's it going and that kind of kept me focused so that that was how it came about but I then ran that conference for three years in succession so every January for three years um, and eventually actually that's what came that's how my business name came about because at the time I was um, well I still am technically Sherry Bevan Consulting um, but then the business changed its name to The Confident Mother because people kept referring to my business as The Confident Mother. And I thought, well, you know, there's something in this. So that's 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 how it started. Um, yeah. I can't remember what your other two questions no, were. I know. Um, so th this was the, the inspiration for the book. So um, you did your conferences and you ran your interviews and you, you gathered your people um, and you kind of found your brand. Yes. You know that that's how it should be isn't it especially for you because that is now what you're um helping other people to do yeah absolutely and i think the very first one that i did so the book is a bit more is broader in theme you know it's, it was different aspects of being confident as a mother you know so we, we talk about like body image um fitness and as, as well as running a business or being a career woman or changing career and then over time, the last one I did, it, was, it started to become much more focused on supporting women in the workplace and supporting, uh, you know, specifically women in, in careers. And, and that's really how, uh, for me, my, as a coach, that's how my business has evolved over the last, you know, four or five years. I think now I'm pretty much known for helping women with their careers in the workplace and job hunting and dealing with redundancy or going back to work after a career break. So it's, yeah, it's evolved over time. And if you'd asked me 10 years ago, where do you see yourself in 10 years? This is not where I would have been. Mm. I don't know where I would have been. I would have been head of technology in a big law firm somewhere, I guess. I would imagine that if I'd asked you six months ago <laughs> what you'd be doing right now or what you'd have been doing in the last six months, you wouldn't have known the answer either. No, no, no. The last six months have been quite interesting, haven't they? Because it's... Mm. Um, yeah, I didn't expect to be working from home quite so much. I didn't, and obviously as a trustee of, of NCT, I didn't expect to be making the decisions that we've had to make, which has been um, quite, well, for me, very uh, stressful and very emotional because you know, NCT is such a big part of my life. And yeah, no, I hadn't anticipated, um, yeah, if you'd asked me six months ago, so that would have been like six months ago. That would have been mid-February, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, 
yeah, I don't think any of us could have, wouldn't have predicted like, you know, we're recording this on A-level results day. There's no way I could have predicted that A-level results day would be the way that it is. Um, yeah, it's very different. Have you got the A-level results yet? We have. <laughs> are they good? Uh, they, they are good. Um, they are good. And she has um, got into her second choice university, but not her first choice. And that's, um, so she's having a, a rant about that. And she will appeal because the results that she got, um, she did better in her mocks than she did in, in the results that she got. So she's going to appeal because she wants to go to uh, the other university. But I mean, she's still got good results. It's just not, they're not the results that she wanted. It's, it's different, I, but I suppose every year people find themselves on pathways they didn't expect to be on. Yeah, and I, and I do feel really sorry for this cohort because they're the ones, you know, the ones doing A-levels now, they're the ones who went through the new format GCSEs, you know, when we changed from ABC to one, two, three, four, five, etc. Um, and, and it's all of those rites of passage that they've missed out on. You know, they haven't had the last day of school. They haven't had the, the final exam. They haven't had, you know, the, the final party. And even going in this morning to collect her results, it's, you know, you can come in six at a time. You've got to wear a mask and you can't linger and all of that kind of stuff. So it's all just very, very, you know, couldn't have predicted that six months ago. So it's a bit bizarre. Very bizarre. Um, I told you we would digress. Yes. <laughs> so coming back to, we should come back to your book. Um, so what was my second question? I can't remember now either. Um, the process, tell me about the process of writing. Oh, it. the process. So the process was um, straightforward, simple and straightforward, but hard work. So originally I had done all the interviews live and then recorded them and then transcribed them. Um, in fact, I paid somebody to do the actual transcription because I had, you know, can you imagine over, yeah. you know, 15 days, I think there was something like, I don't know, 20 odd interviews. That was a lot of, you know, and each interview was about an hour. Oh yeah, that's a lot um, of transcription. Yeah, it's a lot of transcription. So I got someone else to transcribe them and then I told her where to start. Well, I had a, a team of people doing it for me actually. Um, and I just told them where to start and finish because I didn't want them to transcribe. I didn't want to pay for them to transcribe the first 10 minutes where it's, you know, hi, this is Sherry. And oh, I'm so excited to talk to Sarah and stuff like that. So somebody, uh, and then when I got the transcripts back, I then edited it so that each interview was no more than, um, I can't remember now what the word limit was for each interview, but so that each interview was about 3,000 words approximately, or maybe more than that. Um, and then just edited and then edited again and edited again and um, and of course the other part of the book is the fact that I wrote about my own personal story a little bit at the start and that was um, I, I had this method of I worked with a, a book coach who's a, a friend Alison Jones so I'll give her a quick shout out and she's amazing and basically what I did is when I decided what was going to be in the book I put a post-it note um, for each topic or each thought onto had a big piece of flip chart paper you know as a peer support breastfeeding council flip chart paper and post-it notes so for every thought or idea that I had for the book I put it on a post-it note and then um, every day I sat down and made sure I, I wrote for at least 25 minutes every day 
and I just grabbed a post-it note because I, what I found out is I could write about 800 words in 20 minutes so I'd grab a post-it note um, some days I would go for a particular one as if I felt inspired that day to write about something specific and if I didn't know what to write I would just grab one and just write 800 words and then I didn't edit or review what I'd written until the end because I didn't want to um, I felt it was important to kind of edit it all in one go so you've got the same spirit in you when you're doing the editing if that makes sense um yeah and that was it just five days a week edit 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 and then i think getting towards the end of submission date for, for um with the publisher i um i sent my family away for the weekend and just sat down and grafted <laughs> um with your post-it note system, was it just like top level chapter he heading theme post-it notes or did you have kind of tiers? Um, a bit of both actually. So it was um, anything that I thought was, so f when it comes to the actual interviews themselves, like the, the transcribed interviews, that really was, those post-it notes were just, you know, you know, Sarah's story, um, you know, it was just the speakers and then I just put, sorted them into what I felt was a relevant order and I tried to do it so that it went through like from having a being a, a mother with a young baby through to teenage years so I kind of tried to do it in a chronological fashion if you like so there's the, the, the chapter about um, secure attachment and brain development is at the start and then there's a chapter with Emma Sargent about work living with teenagers at the end I should probably go back and read that chapter actually Me because too. I'm, I'm in that piece right now um but then for the kind of like the autobiographical bit that wasn't necessarily chapter headings it was just ideas or thoughts like I knew I wanted to write about um you should think about the the, the accidents I'd had on the bike and the brain damage I'd had and my, the burnout that I'd gone through um, I hadn't had breast cancer at that point, so that wasn't in the book. That's why it's not in the book. Um, you know, I wanted to talk about my my love for breastfeeding and for being, um, you know, for wanting to be a, a mother wolf. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I wanted to talk about what I felt were the factors that had influenced me growing up. So, you know, the fact that my parents had gone through divorce and that we'd had some grievances in the family. So any, but it, it could just be just like one word or it could just be more of a, more of a chapter, if you like. But it was just anything that I could think of. I just brainstormed and just stuck it on a post-it note. And then some of those post-it notes um, never made it into the book because I decided it wasn't valuable or or wasn't relevant or um i'd forgotten why i'd put it up there in the first place um and and, and some did i have a question for our times so for the next book yes and um, the one that's cooking um would you do it the same way with physical flip chart and post-it notes or will you be oh, using God, yes. a website yes. yes no um i personally find there's something and i do all my course development like this there's something satisfyingly tangible about being able to pick up the post-it note and move it to another place on the flip chart. Yeah. So even when I develop my like um, my, my current course that I'm working on at the moment, it started life as a big piece of flip chart paper and, and, and post-it notes. And then I just move things around. Um, 
I sometimes try to get clever and color code the post-it notes, but I always find that doesn't work because I've written something on pink and then decided actually that should have been in the green column and then I move it. So I don't even bother with that anymore. Um, but there's, I think it's that physical being able to pick things up and move things around. Whereas I think if you put it into a Word document or onto a Trello board even, it's even if you move it around in the document, it's not the same as, there's something the way it does it in the brain, it kind of physically moves it in your brain. I don't know. No, I'm I don't with know you. If there's any science behind that. Yeah. And as a, as you say, a peer support trainer and also breast, uh, an NCT tutor, trying to move all of our activities online, and we rely so heavily on things like post it notes and card sorts. I yeah. really agree. We can find substitutes where you, you've got websites where you can make post-its and move them around, but it's not the same as physically writing it and putting it and moving it and talking about where it should be. And I think that, that dips into, doesn't it? Like we all have different preferred learning styles. You know, mm -hmm. some of us might be more audio or visual or kinesthetic. And I think it's that, that kinesthetic being able to pick it up and move it. Um, there's something additional you get in the in the process, in the in the learning, or um, yeah, it's hard at the moment doing lots of online courses or doing courses online, courses that you might have done face to face previously. Mm -hmm. um, and it's quite noticeable in my day job in the contract that I'm working. You know, at the start when we had to very quickly, as with NCT, we had to very quickly move our on our face to face workshops to online. And at the start, you know, there was definitely lots of people didn't know how to use the tools. You didn't know how to use the online tools. And we'd get onto the call 15 minutes early to allow people time to, to get logged in and to make sure it's working and to test their microphone. Whereas nowadays, people just log on a few mm. minutes, you know, two or three minutes early. And, and people generally are much more, you know, if you think about the country as a whole and how we've adapted to online compared mm. to a year ago, it's quite incredible, really amazing yes so I would uh, like to discuss with you um, a part of your um, personal part of your book your introduction where you're telling your story and you asked the question can you be a feminist and a mother and um, what did you conclude on the writing of your book to that question I suppose um, I suppose at the time when I wrote the book I but when I, well, before I had children, I suppose, I don't know really. I think I, I used to think you couldn't be a feminist and a mother. Um, and I'd always been quite a um, outspoken feminist. Um, you know, and I'd always read, you know, like Virago books from a very young age and um, had always been quite feisty i suppose even though well I, I don't know how i come across i think some people think i'm, I'm you know um, quiet person reserve reserved person um i don't know anymore because then people turn around and say oh, i thought you were really extrovert I think, really no <laughs> um and i and i think i had it all mixed up in my head that you you couldn't really be a feminist and be a mother but then i think as, as I start to explore that, I think actually being a feminist is nothing to do with being a mother or not being a mother. And, and being a feminist is is just about 
me, it's about wanting equality for women um, and wanting wanting for us to have the same rights. And I think for me, I think what's really important for me is it's for me it's not about saying that you know um, women are different or women are better or men men are, are better, but it's for me it's just you know women and men have different qualities tend to have different qualities and i think that's the thing is that there's you you we're always having to talk about in generalizations you can never you know every, every person is an individual you know i've done really well in my career in technology a lot of women there weren't that many women at my level in technology but that doesn't mean you know and i've never been one for worrying checking what I was wearing right now I've never been one for wearing lots of you know fluffy lacy pinky pastel colors and wearing lots of makeup and being very you know I've very definitely not been that sort of person um so I think it's just that men and women are you know we tend to communicate we tend to behave we, we do it differently and I think it's the world has grown up thinking that the male version is the better version, the, the, the better version of confidence, the better, well, not necessarily the better, but the the more natural or the more appropriate version. Just and the I default version. The default version, yes, the default version. And I think, um, and I think if you go back to like maybe the eighties or nineties, there was lots of lots of books, lots of personal development stuff that talked about this is how to be successful in the workplace, and and basically telling women to be more like men. You know, to be more aggressive or to mm -hmm. be more shouty, or you know, we period of time where we had the big shoulder pads so that we looked more masculine. And actually, I don't think it's about being more like men. It's it's about being more you, more authentic to who you really are, and accepting and educating everybody that what looks like confidence on a man is not the same as what confidence looks like in a woman. Um, and accepting those differences and, and just for everybody raising our awareness of the differences and I think there's lots of opportunities that women have that men don't so for example typically it's the woman if you've had children typically it's the woman that takes maternity leave or might even take a career break um, and for often for lots of women that gives them an opportunity to rethink their, their career you know whether that's about starting a business or, or or retraining and doing something different whereas men typically don't have that opportunity and i'm, I'm talking about typically because in, in my household it was different in that it was my husband that stayed at home with the children when they were very young and i carried on working because i love my work and i love my career um you know and he he was the one actually that had the opportunity to change career as, as a result so i think that's the thing is people people love using labels and putting labels on but we all have our own understanding of what that label means um so i think my anyway the conclusion i came to is that yes of course you can be a feminist and a mother i mean like that's daft why wouldn't you be but i think if you go back and look at perhaps some of the um literature or the or the um the writing from like the 60s and 70s there was this thing that you know being a mother was was a bad thing if you're a feminist that mm. you couldn't be a feminist and a mother and i was i was listening to gloria steinem on a podcast um this week 
um, she's on Elizabeth Day's How to Fail, which is quite the scoop. Um, and it's a wonderful podcast anyway. Um, but Gloria Steinem was fascinating. And she, of course, she's now in her 80s, um, the, the iconic American feminist. Um, she doesn't have children, and um, nor does it Elizabeth Day, the interviewer. And they talked about this, they spoke about this. And one of the things Gloria said was, um, well, of course, I don't have children. I've never particularly wanted to have children. Um, I have great respect for people who do. And it was there was a real kind of, but absolutely no real understanding of why they would or what it is they're doing. <laughs> um, almost different species. And it seemed to me almost as if for her, um, women who were mothers and women who were not mothers were as different as men and women. Which may be unfair. It may yeah. be very unfair. I, I haven't read her deeply or anything like that. But it was yeah. an interesting insight into her perspective. And it kind of makes sense. And of course, there are lots of women who want to be mothers and, and can't. Mm. And, and that's, that's really sad. And I think, I remember when I was pregnant the first time, and when I because I was quite old when I got pregnant the first time, um, and, it, and I, it wasn't that I'd been trying to get pregnant and couldn't, it's just, you know, I woke up one night, one morning and thought, oh, I want to have a baby kind of thing. And I was already 38, I think, at that point. Um, but I remember when I started telling people, you know, that I'm pregnant, the, the people who already had children themselves, they were noticeably more excited for me than the people that didn't have children. So I think, and, and I feel the same way now that when someone else tells me, oh, I'm pregnant, I, I feel that differently. I receive that news in a different way. So I think, so I can understand how they, you know, if you haven't got children, you may well see women who do have children as as a different species yeah, a, a, diff, a very different group with different yeah. different aims different perspectives and again yeah. we're generalizing which we're general. i think we're, we're both quite reluctant really to yes. do um but it's interesting um, there was another guest i've spoken to for this podcast who felt almost tricked into motherhood oh yeah yeah and i, I guess um you know, motherhood itself is such a complex journey, isn't it? Um, you know, for a lot of us, we feel, you know, in a lot of the work that I do, a lot of women feel like, you know, their career takes a, a plummet, plummets when, when they've had children. And yet, you know, salaries go down. And yet we see the effect on, on fathers when they've had children. Their salary goes up and they get promoted. Um, so I think it's... Uh, society doesn't yet value mothers or our society doesn't yet value mothers in in quite the same way and I've seen instances in the past where um when we were going through like salaries salary increases and bonuses and stuff like that you know I've, I've heard those comments because I was in the meeting where people have said well we need to give him a good bonus because he's got a family to look after and it's like, right, do you know what? I've got a family too. <laughs> and uh, and it's, um, there is still that feeling in society that it's, that it's down to the father to provide and not necessarily the mother to provide, which, um, you know, those are the sorts of things that get me really angry. Um, Especially considering all the things we are providing by being mothers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and I think, the more the more um 
you know, in our society, as men are getting older and as their daughters are getting older and as they start to see their daughters facing some of those, some of that unconscious bias, some of that prejudice, some of that, you know, the, the, the poor, the lower salaries and stuff like that. I think that's when we start to get more men on our side and, and, and become those, those, cat, you know, those catalysts of change and will help us because they don't want their daughters to experience what perhaps their wives have experienced or what their mothers or their own sisters have experienced. That's why we need feminism, because men shouldn't have to become fathers and have daughters to recognise women as human individuals with the same rights as they Yeah, have. yeah. And, and I think it's not that they... they it's not that they consciously think that, is it? It's just that yeah. it, it's... Um, it's like lots of things. There's that unconscious with unconscious bias um in in lots of different areas whether you're talking about gender or race or sexuality or religion or, or anything um yeah anyway my conclusion is you can be a feminist and you can be a mother <laughs> which doesn't actually come as an enormous shock <laughs> no 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 because I, I don't think my my views perhaps are less um my husband always used to call me the um, I probably shouldn't say this as president, but when I was studying as a breastfeeding counselor, he used to say that I was the paramilitary wing of NCT. <laughs> I was like, passionate and wanted to fix everything, but you can't fix everything and you have to pick what you focus on. It seems entirely appropriate that you are now the president. <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you NCT is not going down the paramilitary route no but it, it needed and it uh, certainly at the point at which you became president absolutely somebody with that passion and drive to be there as, as that figurehead yes yes I, I'd like to think that's what NCT needs although it's um, it feels it feels a big responsibility um, yeah and and I, I guess I'm always worrying or wondering, do people think I'm doing enough or that I'm good enough or I'm doing the right things or, yeah. I, and I guess that's the day you stop worrying about what other people feel you're doing with the role is probably the day that you should step down. Mm -hmm. The same with all of anything in life, I think. Once you stop worrying about um, what other people, you know, whether it's good enough, I mean, there's an element of imposter syndrome in there as well, but I think the day you stop caring about what other people think is probably the day you should stop doing it. Yeah. That's what I think about politics. The day a political party concludes that if there was an election right now, they might lose it, they should hold an election. <laughs> that's what the country needs at that point, isn't it? Yes, yes. Interesting, though, that's the one thing you can't do as a mother. You can't think, oh, I don't care about being a mother anymore. You can't stop being a mother. You no. always are a mother or a father. Yeah, yeah. That, that never goes away. There's your unconditional love. Yes, yes. Mm. So this has been um, instructive because having spoken, um, for example, to Amy Brown, who seems to approach writing books by just sort of sitting down and spewing words <laughs> into her computer. And then having spoken to um, Laurie Smith, whose approach to writing has been to keep putting it back under the bed um, and leaving it for five years <laughs> and see if it grows by itself. Um, oh gosh! You have a really structured approach, and <laughs> now there's a surprise. <laughs> yes, yes, I, indeed, as one would expect. But it makes sense, and you've you've then taken all of this um, big thinking about motherhood, 
and distilled it and then with the assistance of all the people you interviewed really drawn out strong themes um i think that's that's um instructive for those of us who think that we've got a book in us and would like to somehow get it out in fact that might be why i'm doing this podcast series <laughs> to figure out how to write the book yeah i i think there's um i mean i worked with an amazing book coach and i think um you know she talks about the first thing to do in your book is to write the table well first think about who you're writing for you know what do they want to know you know and what's that book designed to do and obviously i'm assuming we're talking about non-fiction as opposed to fiction you know what do you want them to do at the end of it how do you want to inspire them do you want to educate them do you want them to go and take action and and then she talks about the first thing to write is your table of contents so it might not necessarily be in the final order but to think about you know all the different things that you want to put into that that book um you know she she does a very structured has a structured approach which suits me because i'm a very structured mm. organized logical person um but yeah i couldn't imagine just sitting down and just spewing stuff out that would not work for me but that you know we're all different aren't we yeah yeah no, it's a very individual thing mm. so you've got ideas for book two i do yes um and it will be again even more focused than the book I've written before. So it will be about a career confidence and how to how to be successful at work and how to you know taking everything that I've done over the last few years in with the courses that I run and the coaching that I do and just helping women to you know feel more confident about themselves at work and go in and see as a as a feminist I um. I know we're saying this, it's just you and me, and I know, you know, it's more than just you and me. And the other but 11 no, I, people listening. <laughs> but I, I, I've always said I don't just want equality, I want more than that. I, I want women to rule the world, because I honestly, truly believe that if women ruled the world, the world would be a better place. This has been born out through the pandemic. Yes, exactly. And so... I, so I, what I want to be able to do is to give women the tools and the strategies and the blueprints that they can go and start taking over the world. Now, I know that's not a very, um, I don't know what, what the equivalent of a feminist point of view is, but I genuinely believe it's a bit like if you want to get, you know, um, an A star result at A level, you, you've got, to, but you need, say, a B to get into your university. You've got to aim for the stars and then hopefully you'll land on the moon kind of thing you know you've got to aim high so by aiming high and i don't think it's aiming high but you know if if, if we all ruled the world then the world would be a better place and even if we don't end up with everywhere being ruled by women but if at least some of it's ruled by women then it will be a better place and as you say that's been borne out by the pandemic some would argue some wouldn't but my husband would disagree Ah, well, we're right though. Yes, <laughs> That's absolutely. the whole point. <laughs> exactly, yes. Sherry, I could talk to you all day. I love talking to you, but I'm aware you've got a dog arriving soon. <laughs> yes, I do have a dog arriving soon. Yes, the, 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 the non-spotty Dalmatian. Brilliant. Um, 
I just wanted to say before we finish, thank you for all the support you've given me while I've been on furlough and at risk of redundancy. Oh. You've been brilliant. Um, oh, so as this goes out, and I know I've only got 11 listeners, but as this goes out, if anybody is looking for help while they think about a change of career, Sherry is your man. That was the wrong word for it, wasn't it? Sherry is your woman. <laughs> <laughs> and she's going to help you figure out how to rule the world. Yes, absolutely. And maybe that'll be the title of the book. How to rule the world. Yes. Yeah. Can't wait for it. Brilliant. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you so much, Karen. Enjoy your dog. Thank you. Bye. So Sherry can be found as Sherry Bevan on LinkedIn if you're looking for career help, which I can absolutely highly recommend. Um, she's uh, The Confident Mother on Twitter and other social media, and her book is called The Confident Mother. I would really strongly recommend having a, a read of it. It's interesting stuff. I will be back next week with um, another interview, which will be um, Tessa Sanderson, who's written a book about birth. And so um, she tells us about self-publishing and her process. You can find me as um, Motherworldly UK on Twitter, uh, Motherworldly Pod on Instagram, and I'm over on Patreon as patreon.com slash motherworldly if you would like to support me. And I am eternally grateful, even if you have just spent half an hour listening to this. Actually, a little longer than half an hour. I do apologise for overrunning today. Catch you next week. <laughs>